looking at cross-centered Christianity. Now, we'll find ourselves towards the latter half of Mark chapter 11, uh, specifically verse 27. But, but bear in mind with me what happened in the beginning of Mark chapter 11. Uh, all the way back before Advent, Pastor Dan preached on these passages. And you'll recall that Jesus entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. The very week of his passion, the week of the Passover celebration in Jerusalem, this high holy day. And then following his arrival, soon after, he clears the temple with uh, this dramatic display. And it's immediately after this that we pick up our passage this morning, where now Jesus' authority is in question. Let's hear now from God's word. Mark 11, verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? Tell me. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they fear the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Having heard your word, we now seek to understand and apply it to our lives, and so we would pray that you would illuminate our mind and open our hearts and ready our hands to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, it's not on. How about now? Oh. <laughs> that was my fault, not the AV team. Thank you, guys. Who is your highest authority? We have all kinds of authorities in our lives, from, from lesser to higher and higher still. Who is your highest authority? We seek different authorities for different questions. The, the, the bigger the question, the higher the authority that we, we look to. So consider a, a very simple question. Should I cross the street? Well, someone with authority, someone who's able to make that decision for you, who's able to either permit you or deny you passage across the street, well, the, the, the lowest authority perhaps would be a crossing guard. They could say, no, don't cross, or, or please, yes, go ahead. If you didn't listen to their authority, there, there wouldn't be much consequence because they're, you know, a lesser authority. But, you know, you can go up the authority chain. If there's a police officer there, you would be more beholden to what they would tell you to do. If the, the head of the Department of Transportation was there, they would have even more clout. All the way up to the President of the United States, if they were there telling you to cross the street, there could be considerable consequence if you did not listen. But then if you're a Christian here this morning, there'd be a higher authority. God himself, if he told you to cross the street, would you obey? There are higher and lesser authorities for bigger and smaller questions in our lives this morning. I believe the passage puts to us one of the biggest questions in our lives. The, the question for Jesus in his day is how we should worship, but we have other big questions that 
you know, whether you're coming as a person of faith in Christ or not, we all have to answer these big questions that life demands of us. Who am I? What kind of person should I become? How should I focus my limited time, limited resources, limited abilities? What end should I pursue with the hours in my life given to me? These questions, how do we answer them? More particularly, think of different domains of life. Think of the new parents. They're welcoming this new child into the world, but immediately what's put to them is how will they raise this child? One specific question, what will they teach their child about faith and about God and about religion? Well, well, one authority, the culture, might say, allow your child to decide what they want to believe. Don't, don't overly influence them. Let them discover themselves. The, the scriptures would say, raise your child up in the way that they should go. Or perhaps your parents might say, raise them up in the tradition that we gave you. Which authority do you follow? Or perhaps you are a professional, and you have this inner drive for excellence, but you also have a family that you love. How should you invest the limited time that you have? You know, if you strive more at work and invest more in work, your boss will be pleased, you'll receive accolades and make more of an impact in your vocation. But at the same time, your family is asking for you to focus more time with them. How do you decide? 50-50? 40-60? 70-30? What authority helps you with that decision? And then here at the turning of the years, some of us will resolve to change something about ourselves. How do we decide what to change or if we should change? Should you join a gym and commit to regular exercise? Or should you be more body positive and not feel pressured? Should you be more careful about your diet or focus more on being free about what you eat? Should, is, it, is it good to make a resolution? Is it bad to make a resolution? How do you decide? In these and many more situations, we are beginning to get at the biggest questions in our lives. And in order to answer those, we will appeal to big authorities, even the highest authority in our lives. But in our current day, we have a very skeptical view of authority. So we just need to talk about this for a second. If you were raised anything like I was, I was raised to be skeptical of all authorities. The church, because they silenced Galileo. The Bible because of its alleged contradictions, the majority because of its tyrannies, men because of abuse, science because of paradigm shifts, language because of deconstruction, the market because the rich just get richer, religious leaders because of manipulation, politicians because just follow the money, media because of bias, and the police because of brutality, and so on and so forth. We are skeptical of all authority, even uncomfortable talking about it. And not for no reason, right? We live in a fallen world where our leaders and authorities are not fully who God made them, intended them to be. And they do bad things. And yet, the answer to bad authority is not no authority, but good authority. And this is what authority should be, what it, what it intends to be. In the words of one author, Jonathan Lehman, he says this, Good authority strengthens and grows. It authors and creates. It's the teacher teaching, the coach coaching. It's the mother mothering. It's the rules for the game, the lines on the road, a covenant for lovers, the lessons for a child, the chance to grow and expand and eventually take dominion ourselves. This is what authority should be. 
This question of authority is at the center of our passage this morning, where in verse 28, the religious leaders, the established authorities of Jesus' day, put this to Jesus. They say, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you authority to do this? Again, remember, he had just cleared the temple, and they're, they're responding to him. The same question, I think, is being put to us. By what authority are we doing these things? How are we making these big decisions in our lives, answering these big questions? What authority are we following? And in our passage this morning, as we walk through it together, I think we'll see three different options that the passage explores, and I hope to explore with you in our brief time this morning. And as we walk through, we'll get to each one, but the first one I want to explore together is the established authorities how we might follow them to answer the big questions of our lives, the established authorities. And we see this in verse 27, where it says, They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. So we get a little bit of context. There's these three different groups that are going to approach him and challenge Jesus' authority. And these three, three different groups, the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, were essentially the three main power groups of the Jewish people in Jesus' day. You know, uh, a very rough analogy would be like the, the, the political parties. They're all of them, all together, assembled. And the, the, the name they had given themselves, the subset of all of those groups that had governing jurisdiction was the Sanhedrin, which was composed of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and the elders, which is something like lay nobility. And these groups come together and they challenge Jesus because they were the established leaders in Jesus' day. They are the ones that had authority from heaven. God had given, especially to the chief priests, his authority to, to manage temple worship. And what had Jesus just done? He, he had come to the temple and, and very much challenged their authority when he came and overturned the tables of the money changers and, and made a, a whip out of cords and drove the, the beast that they were selling out of the court of the Gentiles. And they're coming to him saying, Jesus, this is our jurisdiction, our authority. Who are you, this preacher out of Galilee, to come and try to uproot what we are doing here? And that's just what Jesus does. Who gave Jesus this authority? That's the question they put to him in verse 28. On what authority do you do these things? Now, recall with me, way back before Advent, the indictment Jesus makes, his, his rationale for why he is uh, doing this in the temple court. He says, God, uh, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And so there's at least two indictments of the established leadership that Jesus makes. The first being that you made it a den of robbers. Perhaps something about the commerce, the transaction that was going on here. The, the merchants were defrauding the pilgrims coming to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple, to, to do what God had asked them to do in the week of Passover. But then also, God's temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. You see, this commerce was taking place in the courts of the Gentiles, a part of the temple complex that God had set apart for Gentiles, for people that were not of Jewish descent, to come to the temple and to experience the presence of God, to pray before him, 
to be a part of what was going on. And they had erected this, this necessary, but not here, uh, commerce to take place. And Jesus has a strong rebuke to their authority because of that. But nevertheless, the Sanhedrin have a claim to authority, at least in some sense, from heaven. And, and they are inviting us to consider, is our highest authority the established authorities, like the Sanhedrin, but in our day? You've skimped, and you've saved, and you finally have enough to take a dream vacation to the Holy Land. Okay, maybe that's not your dream, but just go along with me for a second here. You know travel can be stressful, and that there is, there's so much you want to see and experience. You spend the extra to hire a highly skilled tour guide for your vacation. And on this vacation, you quickly realize that you have struck gold. Your tour guide is the bomb. They are amazing. Every logistic plan, uh, planning, every detail is planned to perfection. He leads you from site to site swiftly and precisely, never getting lost, never wasting an idle minute. This tight itinerary is executed to perfection. You end up being able to see much more than you even anticipated, largely due to this person's significant skills. But were they a good lead? Did they lead you well? Well, if your goal was maximum coverage of attractions, then they would be unrivaled. But should that be your goal in a vacation to the Holy Land? Or rather, should your goal be spiritual reflection and curiosity and spending extra time to wait and to wonder at what you are experiencing? I believe there's something going on similar to this in Jesus' day with the Sanhedrin, who originally did receive their authority from God. And they were in a difficult position. They were under the Roman provincial leaders, had to deal with them and, 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 and interact with them. At the same time, they had to uh, operate and please and manage the Jewish people in this, this, this busiest time of their year, this holy week. And I have no doubt that they had considerable skills and ability trying to manage all of this. But what went wrong? Perhaps, over time, their focus shifted ever so slightly, less and less. The, the end of their leadership was no longer the worship of God, but more and more managing power and order in their domain. And so by following them, no longer did you reach the best end, but you're, you're now shooting for something that's lesser and, and shouldn't be your focus. And the same question is to us with the established leaders in our day. Are they leading us to where we want to go, or ever so slightly, is it somewhere different, something lesser, something that we shouldn't be shooting for, like the tour guide? So, diagnostic question. Have you been swept up in following a charismatic leader, someone powerful and skillful, someone who is a, a master of technique, but without the very important critical reflection on exactly where they're leading you? Some, some practical examples. Consider a coach who is incredibly successful in their program. The teams are state champions. Whatever they do then, you will, whatever they ask of you, you will do. Of course, you'll miss the family vacation on spring break without a thought, or you'll miss church if there is a game. It's, it's, you'll follow them. 
or perhaps the dazzling intellect of a professor. Whatever they say, you will believe, even if it is in, in conflict with everything you've held as true before then. Or perhaps a charismatic politician. They are your champion. They have identified a concern of yours that no one else is talking about, so whatever, wherever they go, you will follow. Or perhaps a pastor. They are so skilled and gifted in expounding and explaining the Bible that you don't see a need for reading the Bible and understanding it yourself. You'll just follow what they say. Or perhaps it's your boss at work. They are your ticket to success, and wherever they go, you will follow to ride that train. And all of these things, all of these authorities in and of themselves are good and necessary, but they can slowly creep to being our highest authority. And when that takes place, all of a sudden something goes wrong where no human leader always guides straight and often they aim at lesser goals that are not worthy of being your highest goal and therefore them your highest authority. So if the established leaders can't be our highest authority, what, what other options are there? And we see the second one our passage explores in verses 29 and 30 where it looks at the crowd as their highest authority. Let's see. Verse 29. Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. You see, Jesus responds to the religious leader's question with a question. Classic Jesus move. And what's interesting, though, is that this style of, of counter-question was a recognized form of debate in the rabbinic tradition. And so this would not have surprised the religious leaders. This was something they did amongst themselves. And, and perhaps it's telling that um, they recognize that this isn't an irrelevant question, and they themselves deal with it. They don't just dismiss it. I, I think that shows us that the Jesus' counter-question, they recognize it has merit. In fact, I wonder if they recognize that by answering it, they are actually doing business with their initial question. You see, for John's baptism, the question Jesus puts to them, uh, where is its source from? Uh, the, the answer to that question will have direct bearing on Jesus' authority. For John's authority, is down, is, it, it comes before. John looked to Jesus as a greater authority than himself. And so what they decide about John's authority will directly impact their question about Jesus' authority. And so you, you see how seriously the religious leaders deal with this question in verses 31 to 33. They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, and they can't even finish the thought, but the, uh, the narrator fills it in for us. They feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. They have these two options, this, 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 this choice, and, and, and neither option is very attractive to them. If they say from heaven, it undermines their own authority. They claim that their authority is from heaven, and here comes John, who very much challenged their authority, and to, to say that he was legitimate would delegitimize their authority. But on the other hand, to claim that his, John's ministry was of human origin, the religious leaders are capable and skilled leaders. They, they've taken the opinion poll of their constituents. They know where the popularity lies. And to say that John's 
ministry was of human origin was so utterly unpopular that it could also destabilize their own authority. And so they're caught in a bind. Even though they were the established leaders, their real authority was the crowd. They were following the crowd and what the, the, the opinion polls, the popularity lay, that's what they would ultimately follow. Like the religious leaders, is our highest authority when push comes to shove, the crowd. 1913, Paris. At the premiere of the ballet, The Rite of Spring, Stravinsky's work, it begins, and this event began not long after the opening notes of the ballet, this meandering an eerily high-pitched bassoon solo that is orchestrated in such a surprising way that already the crowd, the audience, is, is laughing uh, from how strange this is, this high-pitched bassoon solo. But the, the, the jeers of the crowd become louder as the orchestra progressed into more cacophonous territory with its pounding percussion and jarring rhythms of Stravinsky's competition. But things got even, even more heated and increased to a near fever pitch by the time the, the ballet dancers took the stage, where the dancers performed bizarre and violent moves, eschewing grace and fluidity for convulsive jerks that mirrored the work's strange narrative about pagan sacrifice. On stage in Paris, the, the crowd's catcalls, in fact, became so loud that the ballerinas could no longer hear the orchestra, and the choreographer, Nijinsky, took the shouting commands from backstage for them to continue. You see, the crowd expected and wanted of a, a night at the ballet elegance and grace and romance. They valued excellence in a well-established form. But what Stravinsky gave them was, was something very different. This wildly innovative in deconstruction of the traditional form, which led to something of a riot at this premiere. But what about today? If the same level of innovation and deconstruction took place in a premiere today, how would the crowd respond? Well, in the almost the exact opposite, interestingly, um, they, they would be applauding, not rioting, because today we value deconstruction and novelty uh, as, as one of the highest things. And I think this is telling. I think this is the point. Because even in Jesus' day, in Mark 11, the crowd welcomes Jesus to Jerusalem with cries of, Hosanna to the son of David. They want him to be their Messiah. But in just several chapters later, they are shouting, crucify him. And this is the issue with the crowd being your authority, is that it's like a dog chasing its tail. It goes around and around, always changing and vacillating and, and never going towards one defined end. Is the crowd your authority? A couple diagnostic questions we can ask. Do you believe that the answer to the big questions of life is something that can only be discovered by searching within yourself. That you need to follow your heart and only then can you have a fulfilling life. Now, 
on the surface, this sounds like a very individualistic and like you are leading yourself, that no one else is leading you because you can choose a path that is, for all intents and purposes, utterly unique. No one else is going the direction you're going. And so it feels like you are the captain of your fate. You are sh- you're driving your life. But if you take a step back, I think we can quickly realize that this is the very spirit of our age. This is the, 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 the way that the crowd is going. The crowd is giving us this message. This is the spirit of our age to believe what is in your heart, to look for purpose and answers to the, the biggest questions in our lives within. And by doing so, your authority is the crowd. And the problem with the crowd is that it leads round and round. And if this is the crowd's opinion today, that tomorrow it may be something quite different. We could follow the established leaders. We could follow the crowd. But for the biggest questions of life, where this passage ends with is we can also follow Jesus as our highest authority. We see this in verse 33. Where Jesus responds to them, their evasion, he responds by, well, evading himself. He says in verse 33, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. But for those who have ears to hear, even though he explicitly evades their question, implicitly, he has very much answered their question. You see, for as we alluded to before, John's ministry, his baptism being a a, a part of the whole of his ministry, it's, it's getting at the whole thing, John's ministry was to prepare the way for the Lord. That's how he described his ministry. And when Jesus shows up on the scene in John chapter 1, John says emphatically, He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So by extension, if John's ministry is from heaven, how much more is Jesus' ministry? In fact, Jesus is not just a prophet like John come with authority delegated from heaven to John, but how much more so Jesus is heaven's authority come down to earth in the person of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus could be our highest authority. As she slowly regained consciousness and pulled down the airbag, She felt the strong grip of a police officer pull her out of her car and say to her, Honey, you've had a seizure. Brittany Ruby Miller, at the time a student in college, was taking an insane load of 30 credit hours in one semester, or about double a normal course load. But she wanted to succeed and thrived in climbing walls and overcoming obstacles. And she came from a family of high performers. Her father, Jeff Ruby, was a very successful restaurateur. And she describes herself. She says, I am scrappy. I'm competitive. I've always been a fighter. And she approached her college education with this same kind of hustle mentality. Not sleeping at times. Putting intense pressures on herself to the point where she began manifesting this stress physically with seizures. And she had such a seizure while driving one day and and crashed her car into the college library. And this was a loud wake-up call for Brittany. Something had to change. And for the first time in her life, something was wrong with her, inside of her, with her body, that seemed like it might really threaten her dreams. She goes to the doctor, and the doctor tells her to shut it all down. 
stop, take a break from college. And this was incredibly destabilizing for Brittany. I mean, it threatened the very core of who she was because she had been living and breathing the, the spirit of our age, the authority of the crowd, that you can be whoever you want to be, but it is then your responsibility to wake up every day and work as hard as you can to make that reality happen, for that reality to manifest. And this hustle culture can be overwhelming to slow down to go in the opposite direction of everything that she had been doing before then, felt like she was giving up herself. She had to find a new foundation for her life, a new authority for the biggest questions in life if she was to make such a change. So she went to church by herself and listened to what God would say to her. And she let Jesus be the authority of her life. She went back to school. But now, with a different perspective, with a recalibrated pace, she was known by name by God and no longer had to make a name with her own hands, her own striving. She, was, she had a purpose. She didn't have to discover her purpose. And with Jesus first and her second, she had this new cadence to her life. Yes, she worked hard, but with a new foundation for her life. We, too, can follow Jesus as our highest Authority. Now, how do we know if Jesus is our highest authority? A couple questions we can ask ourselves. Are your core beliefs and values, your answers to the biggest questions of life, how that informs you, how you live that out, does it at times put you at odds with the crowd? It put Jesus at odds with the crowd. Does it at times put you at odds with the established authorities? It put Jesus at times, at odds with the established authorities? Does it involve self-denial, denying yourself? For Jesus said, anyone who comes after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Does it involve not partial obedience in one limited domain of your life, but total obedience of every inch of your life? Because Jesus is the only authority really making that demand of you. The, the, the crowd says, you're in charge of your life. Do whatever you want. And the established authorities, for instance, your boss at work, they don't ask all of you. They say, your personal time is your own, but when you come here, you're on. But Jesus has a very different claim. He says, no, no limits to his authority over your life. He wants to be Lord over all of your life. And this is a high claim. And though Jesus demands everything. At the same time, Jesus has given everything for you. For Jesus, the, the highest authority came not to be served, but to serve. And even, even give his life as a ransom for you. And for this, Jesus is worthy and necessary to be the highest authority of your life. We've seen how the established leaders often lead towards lesser goals. They're not worthy of your life's commitment. We've seen how the crowd can often lead in circles. And these lesser authorities are fine in limited domains. But as the highest authority, only Jesus can lead you towards the fullness of life and who God made you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We want you to be the Lord of our life. Some of us are wrestling with this proposition. Some of us are rejecting this proposition. Some of us want to commit deeper to this proposition. God, we ask that you meet, meet all of us in our own way. That you would, you would meet us with our questions, with our doubts. That you would meet us with our stumbling, our faltering. That you would meet us with our desire to hunger and thirst after righteousness and follow you. And all this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, through your spirit we pray. Amen.